0: Welcome to Who You Callin' Crazy. This is a unique mental health podcast. We are erasing the stigma and elevating and normalizing dialogue around mental health. Of course, we'll be sharing practical therapy tips, but most importantly, we'll be diving into the stories and vulnerability of people you know or want to know. I'm your host, Juliette Cunley.
1: My name is Jamie Lynch. I'm the chef partner at Fifth Street Group. We're the restaurant group that's responsible for Five Church Charlotte, Sophia's Lounge, Tempest, Five Church Charleston, and soon-to-be Church and Union in Nashville, Tennessee.
0: So lots of growth.
1: Yeah, we have a lot going on right now super busy.
0: Yes. And so again, that you took the time to have this conversation means a lot. So tell us just a little bit of what you're willing to share about just your own journey with mental health and what that means to you.
1: Sure. I mean, so my journey, I think (laughs) has been similar to a lot of people's. I think, you know, as a young person, (laughs) you know, kind of coming of age, I was super frustrated all the time. I think looking back, I think I had trouble communicating with people or like connecting with people in a way. And that created a lot of frustration for me. So I was like super angsty and like kind of angry all the time I, mean, I was like the bad child right i was the one that like would like go out partying and get in trouble not that my i had two brothers my older brother got away with everything right he was like he did all the things yeah but never he got caught
0: the, he was the golden child then right yeah. uh-huh. right he
1: was too smart right he never got caught i was the one that like went out didn't hide it got caught for everything it just you know was like whatever or and the I, middle and I, child
0: were you the middle then, child? I was Were you the, the middle, child. middle child. Okay. Yep.
1: And then my younger brother, he actually passed away a couple of years ago from an overdose. So that was tough. Good. He also, I think, suffered from some of the same kind of communication stuff and kind of connection to the world that I think I did as a youngster.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, getting through a lot of that, I found cooking. My way of connecting with people, you know, um, I'm not a super nurturing, like huggy, uh, maybe I am a little bit more now, now that I'm a little bit older. Um, I've softened up a little bit, but when I was younger, I was very standoffish and angsty yep. um, and cooking was my way to connect with people
0: yeah. um, where I
1: could nurture people from afar and That's take care of people without it being too personal.
0: Right. Yes. I love that awareness. So, that There was some so vulnerability in really that.
1: helped unravel a lot of this stuff for me over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, it became something that I ended up being very good at. I had some natural talents. I started being successful at it, finding my way kind of through the world through cooking and becoming more, more successful, which created a sense of pride and stuff like that. And I think that that really helped me to combat some of the things that were going on internally. I had something I could grab onto and, and claim
0: like that. Yeah. yeah. You sound self-aware though. Like you sound like you can now reflect on all of this time and kind of recognize there was some self-worth stuff going on as a youngster, then you were able to come into this cooking thing and claim it and own it and recognize, Hey, this is something I'm good at. And I can carve a path here.
1: Sure. I think, yeah, that awareness didn't start until much later, probably in my thirties, you know, excuse me, mid to late thirties, you know, I'm 46 now. So, you know, I definitely, it was a struggle in my early kind of adulthood Yeah. But you know, and there was times of counseling. I I struggled from substance abuse big time when I was in a chef in New York. That was kind of in my twenties. So that was a big problem. My brother ended up succumbing to. So and we actually used drugs together when we were in New York and stuff like that. So that was crazy (laughs) dealing with that. Yes. And then, you know, and then a sense of kind of responsibility there too. You know, I was able to come clean. I'm completely sober now. That was not. The reality for my brother Corey. And so there was a battle there, you know, with this sense of like responsibility and ownership of that and kind of some guilt stuff. So, you know, and through my transition into getting sober and being clean, there was a lot of therapy stuff. You know, there's a lot of substance abuse therapy. It's just a lot of like, okay, let's unpack all this stuff.
0: Cause I can't do it alone.
1: (laughs) Yeah, totally. Yeah. I just didn't even know. Like, I wouldn't even know where to start. You know, like, how do you get started with all this stuff that you've been, basically medicating over, you know, for your entire life. For years. Yeah. um, How do you, what do you do with it? You know? Yeah. Yeah. That was very helpful.
0: And that's why they say, I mean, it's the most courageous thing to do just to make that first call and decision of like, I'm going to let somebody into this because I don't know what to do and I'm going to just finally surrender.
1: Totally. Yeah. But I could see that being
0: super layered with Corey and that overlap of just, that's kind of how you guys connected. It sounds like too, like that was a thing for Mm -hmm. you too. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it was. Yeah. That was tough.
0: And grief is so, I always say it's the hardest emotion. Mm -hmm. And so then you've got that.
1: I think I would agree with that. (laughs) Uh I would agree with that for sure.
0: Just how complicated it is, right? And how it kind of can hit you out of nowhere or yeah, lots of layers.
1: Mm -hmm. Totally.
0: Yeah. So I think too, in what you're saying about, I think it's so interesting how you worded it as a kid, I had trouble communicating. So what that says to me is like, you had this internal experience that was one thing and couldn't figure out how to either like reveal that or ask for what you needed or feel seen or heard. Mm-hmm. And that totally. does that sound right?
1: Yeah, that sounds about right. And honestly, you know, hearing you repeat it back to me, I think that I still am working on all that stuff today, right? Like you mentioned, I, I sound self-aware, like I'm more aware, but like, you know, in my relationship with my girlfriend, my longtime girlfriend, like that's still a thing, right? And a lot of it, I think is related to emotions. I'm not good about talking about my feelings,
0: right? And I think a
1: lot of guys can relate to that, but I don't think it's a guy thing. I think it's just something that I never really learned how to do. I don't think it's something that we did in my family openly. As a kid, like we just didn't talk about our feelings. It's not that we hid them or it was like taboo. It it just never really came up. Like that part of growing up isn't something that we did as a group. Mm -hmm. And so that was part of it, right? Is like
0: for sure talking
1: about what I feel I needed or, you know, how I was feeling or what's going on with me. Like I didn't know how to put words to it. Mm -hmm. And and my girlfriend still (laughs) calls me out on it all the time. She's like, okay, you need to like stop whatever it is you're doing here. She can tell let's figure it out. Yeah. 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 She's like, something's going on and you're not, whatever you're doing, is it not working? Uh Right, you stomping around or being pissy or whatever it is you're doing. I can't, I'm not, you know, that's not working for me. So let's try something else.
0: I love that. But that's exactly yeah. it, is that it's a skill set that it really is not yeah. inherent. How do we label, name, and then communicate our emotions? And so I yeah. think you're right. That's true for all humans. But I do think there is like an extra layer of just a, three bo- a house of three boys. Like there's some right. of that. Yeah. Like that has to, you know, sort of the toxic masculinity that our society can Oh kind Oh, of,
1: yeah. yeah. You throw my dad in there. My poor mother was just like totally outnumbered.
0: Yeah. Where did you guys grow up?
1: So we moved around quite a bit. My dad was in the army when we were very young. So we moved around. I was born in upstate New York. We ended up moving to Sarasota, Florida when I was, let's see, our house actually burned down on Christmas Eve when I was like four or something like this. Like like literally we were at my aunt's house. Wow. I know. It was traumatic.
0: That is. So we were,
1: yeah, we were at my aunt's house, Christmas Eve, like family, like hanging out. They lived about a mile from where we lived. And when we returned the whole family, the house was just torched. Uh, We lost a pet and that like, it was just totally terrible. And honestly, you know, this is interesting. You might find this super interesting. I don't have any memories from that until probably when we moved to Florida, Wow. which there was a in my mind, like the house burned down. And then we moved to Florida, like the next week,
0: there's just a gap
1: into a new house. But obviously, you know, insurance. They rebuilt the house. My parents sold it. You know, we relocated to Florida for a while. So, but I have no recollection of any of that stuff. No memories at all.
0: Right. Isn't that um, fascinating how the brain adapts?
1: Yeah, totally. It has like all these like, weird mechanisms to like, yeah. But that so, can totally
0: be um, a mind fuck, right? Because you're like, wait a second. Like there yeah. was obviously the passage of time. Why can't I remember?
1: Yeah. I have no, and my mom will show me like pictures and stuff. She has the pictures that survived, you know, the fire and pictures that happened after that. She's like, do you remember this? I'm like, no, no recollection of that. And like my brain like switched off for a period of time. Yeah. I think. Yeah. So, you know, like, I, I don't know where we lived. Like, I can't remember where we lived mm-hmm. after that. Like, where mm-hmm. did we go? No mm-hmm. recollection of that
0: mm-hmm. or how long
1: we were there or anything like that. So super interesting. But um, anyway, so then we moved to Florida after that. My parents sold that house. My dad was relocating for work and we lived in Florida, I think for about five years. And so I was about, I think I was 10 or 12-ish when we moved. We huh. then relocated to the North Shore of Boston. My older brother was, I think, one. they wanted him to go to school up there in the Northeast uh-huh. um, for high school and stuff. He was going into high school. I was in middle school, whatever. So my mom, so my dad actually moved to North Shore of Boston with my brother, my older brother, to get him into high school and get him situated. My younger brother and I stayed back with my mom for a few months. I don't know how long that was. And then we joined them later. Interesting. There was a split up there along the way too. like my parents split up for like a year or two. And I think I had a lot of me and my mom had a bit of a thing over that. Mm -hmm. We we actually didn't speak for about a year because I was so like kind of pissed about what was going on. I didn't understand it and all that kind of stuff. And
0: you were like 10 Um, to 12. So this was.
1: Yeah, well, that happened after. So she actually so they kind of, you know, my dad brought my brother up. To me, they had kind of separated at that point. Right. Right. And me and my younger brother were staying with my mom for a while. And then she joined my father and my brother up in Boston, the North Shore of Boston in Marblehead after with me and my brother. And then, and we all lived together for a while. And that was like kind of a little gritty. It was a little abrasive. And some of that probably was me. Yeah. You know, but... Yeah, because try
0: Um, imagine trying to be a kid, trying to make sense of this and nobody's really talking about it directly again or helping you create the narrative, so.
1: Right, so that got tricky and that probably went on for a couple of years, maybe two or three years. And then my mom split again, like it was just too much. She was like, I'm out. She I think she went back to Florida for a while and then it was just, and at that point, my brother was going to college. So it was me, my younger brother and my dad my dad had lost his job. He was working a night job, like trying to like, whatever. I remember had this super anger, you know, oh, yeah. towards my mom for like kind of bailing on us. I was like, yo, yeah. what kind of person are you to do that? Yeah. It was just really, really bad for us.
0: Yeah. So we're talking about a lot of things. By else, I mean, me and my mom. <laughs> yes. We're talking about a lot of things that happened during a lot of formative years. And right. you know, we talk about like big T traumas and little T traumas. Like there are a lot of these things that were very significant in your life, it sounds like. But so what is y'all's relationship like now, you and mom, if I can ask. That? We're pretty close.
1: Yeah, we're super close now. So I think at some point along the way, so my mom split for a while. She ended up coming back. And at that point, I was like very angry. Like I was like lashing out big time. Like I was like, yo, fuck you. Yep. I hate all of you people and all this shit. Yep. And I, I eventually left. So I left and kind of went out on my own. I was 18 and I just moved to New Hampshire. I kind of went on my own way, trying to just make sense of everything. Yep. And there was a few years where my mom and I did not talk. Mm-hmm. And I had nothing. I had nothing to do with her. So I'm probably in my mid-20s started to, you know, using drugs pretty aggressively. I was doing a lot of stuff, like (laughs) just sabotaging myself left and right. Mm -hmm. And it was probably not until my late twenties where I started to consider or realize that there was another version of the story than the one that I knew, Right. And I kind of opened up to her a little bit and was like, look, and I asked my dad too, because my dad and I were still kind of tight throughout all of this. Hmm. And, you know, I straight up asked him, I said, yo, explain to me what this is all about. Because I can't get over it, yeah. like whatever's yeah, going on, like, I'm, you Tell know, I'm like pissed about it and I need somebody like, and I asked him separately, right? I was like, dad, what was your version of events? Tell me what happened, you know, to you. And then I did the same thing for my mom. And my mom had expressed to me was that, you know, her feelings of just being overwhelmed by us Mm. right the boys Mm. not being able to like (laughs) that she had no control Mm. you know like and and stuff and that feeling of just being completely overwhelmed and i was like oh fuck all right well you know that had not occurred to me because i was a kid you know you're supposed to be the
0: parent yes you know what i mean yes
1: and so and that helped flip the switch for me Mm. to kind of you know what i mean get close with her and now we're very close
0: I love it. Yeah. But it didn't switch to like self-blame. You just were able to have compassion.
1: Yes, totally. And like a little more empathy. And like, I knew that I like, because I had already been through all my craziness, right? I'd done drugs. I had been arrested. I'd done all these like wild things while I was coming up in the food world. And I was like, oh, I am a crazy person. (laughs) Like, I'm sure it was hard for you to deal with me. You know, I'm not like an easy person to deal with. But
0: also nobody was really like seeing your pain and angst for what it was though. So sure. There, right. Yeah. So there has to be that compassion for yourself here. I'm turning into a therapist a little bit right here, but don't do that. I know don't do that. But that's <laughs> the thing is like, cause you describe it as self-sabotaging. And I see, obviously I hear that. And so much of it was about like self-preservation and right. avoidance yeah. because yeah. it was too much.
1: I think avoidance is probably the best word. Like, I think I was just trying to like, not deal with any, you know, I was like, whatever check out. Yeah. Like I'm done with this kind of thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now we're super close. You know, yeah. like our relationship is tight. We've talked through a lot of that stuff, you know, Beautiful. and funny thing is like, she had checked out on me too. Like we were kind of both done. And so she didn't know a lot of the stories about what had happened huh. between high school and, you know, 30 years old, where we're like now getting close again, like that whole decade, Wow. you know, was kind of missing from her. And so having those conversations, talking about what I got through, like, It just it made us very close.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. And now there's a lot more vulnerable conversation and presence with each other. Totally. Yeah.
1: Yeah. We have kind of like a no-holds barred kind of. We have that like freedom to like you can say whatever you want. Yeah. Like she'll call me and like curse me out. Yep. Like, and I'm like, okay. This is happening. Yeah. I was like, cool. (laughs) You know what I mean?
0: This is happening. It's crazy when you cursed
1: out by your 70-year-old mother sometimes, you know. Like, wow, you still got
0: it. I want to be her when I grow up.
1: (laughs) Yeah, she's a toughie.
0: So then you picked an industry that is also fraught with that, like, you know, substance use and high energy and competition and all this stuff. I mean, so yeah. how...
1: I think that's initially what drew me to it. Got it. I started in the industry when I was 16. I got a job as a dishwasher in this local bar and grill type CD joint. I remember like the headline cook guy, like I was just doing the dishes, the headline cook guy was like eating mushrooms and stuff during yep. the shift, like tripping out and like making burgers and stuff. And I was like, I was like, what? this is wild. Like, oh my God. Like, like, yeah, this whole thing is crazy. I love it. You know? Uh-huh. And I didn't learn until like a couple of years later that I had a talent for cooking. Mm. So that was like my entry into the right. seedy kind of Back of the house situation. The rock
0: and so, rollness of it. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I was super into it. I got seduced by that stuff big sure.
0: time. Well, because, and you were already prone to that because of all the things we mm-hmm. talked about. So, yep, it just yep. kind of made sense. So, at yep. what point can you identify when there was, because you mentioned it got to a point where I could claim this was my thing. Was there like a turning point for that where you're like, oh, this is something?
1: Yeah, I think it would have been. So, it was after I left my house with my folks. I left my mom and dad and my younger brother in Massachusetts, and I moved to New Hampshire, and I kind of went out on my own. And I got this kind of crappy little apartment in this college town in the Green Mountains, and I started working at this Mexican joint. And it was like a from scratch kind of Mexican place. And the chef there was like a graduate from Culinary Institute of America. The owner was a good cook. She was kind of gritty. And they kind of took me under their wing and started teaching me some cooking technique. And that's where I kind of learned that I had a mm-hmm. talent for it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I was kind of good at it. The like long hours, the, all that stuff never bothered me. I was like, whatever, like throw it, like I can handle whatever. But then I started learning that that I could do this well, and the reaction from the guests in the dining room when they would eat the food—that's like that you care over. That's when I had the realization. I was like, "Oh, this is a way I can do something and reach people in a positive way that isn't you know me being an angry drunk, you know whatever." And so I really started to focus on it. That chef is the person who kind of pushed me to go to culinary school. He was like, "Look, you should consider this." Yeah. Yeah. And I think I was probably I mean I was probably 21 maybe yep. at that point. And it becomes like I
0: think it's one of those things where when it is your passion from the outside looking in people don't necessarily recognize what role it's serving for you that it's not mm-hmm. just about cook but yep. it sounds like for you it's a way to nurture to serve to be validated even with all these things that we need as humans. Totally. Yeah.
1: That's exactly right. And so one of the things and actually it's funny that you just said that it just triggered something else that I thought of because now my role in our group is not about creating menus so much as I do that. Mm -hmm. I love to do that. But really my role is about mentorship and teaching the Mm -hmm. other chefs how to get way more advanced than where I am, right? Like you can cut through a lot of the bullshit Mm
0: -hmm. that
1: I fucked up along the way Mm -hmm. and become more successful faster and more effective. So I do a lot of that. And one of the things that I teach them, this goes back to what you just said about Mm -hmm. the validation stuff. is like, I try to teach them to suspend their ego. Like, don't let this be a thing where you're trying to outdo everybody else. Yes. Find like, because for me, it was never about that. It wasn't about in my early interviews and stuff. I was like, yeah, I want to do the best. I have that was about my restaurant being successful enough that it wouldn't go away. I needed to push as hard as I could to make it as good as I could so that it would sustain.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Because I needed it. Validation sure. for that connection and stuff. And so that's what the driving force was. And it wasn't about my ego, about how great of a chef I am, or how good of a dish can I make better than everybody else? It wasn't about that. And I think yeah. you just kind of tapped into that and it kind yeah. of sparked that.
0: Thing. And that's hard to do as people to suspend your ego. I love that verbiage. Yeah. And that gets us out of it. It is own tough. Way. I mean,
1: it's tough for me too. And I'm like aware of it. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. it happens to be all the time where I'm like, oh, you, you catch yourself doing. It. I'm like, what is yes. reset? <laughs> you know, that's it
0: though. But it's yeah. the catching it. That's the sweet spot where you yeah. get out of your own way. It kind of removes that competition thing that can feel kind of nasty and keeps yeah. you focused. And on I the- think
1: competition is great because it pushes us to do more than we would to excel. And that's fine. It's like that yeah. balance of like, where is this becoming too much of an obsession? <laughs> yeah. Right. And like, where is it like a healthy, Push, and yep. I think we're finding that. I think we're, I think we're starting to find that. Yeah, at least
0: I am. Sure, when it's tied to your self worth, I think that's when it kind of crosses that line. And so, do and you cooking f-
1: has been that for sure was directly related to my self worth for many years.
0: Yeah, you know, I think anytime we get too attached to identity in that way, it's risky. And I always give the example of like a professional athlete, right? If that is their identity and their self-worth is all wrapped up in there, and then God forbid there's an accident and they can't play again, then what, right? So right. being able to kind yeah. of spread.
1: You know, mm-hmm. I've had this conversation with my girlfriend. We'll have like some arguments or we'll we'll go back and forth in like some conversation about work. Because I work a lot. Like mm-hmm. I, We're very busy. And they're, you know, the work-life balance and stuff. And, and mm-hmm. often I've said to her, like, this is how my identity, right? This is who I am. These restaurants. And here you say, I'm like, well, maybe, you know, yes, that is, that's part of it. Sure. You know, I've invested a lot of energy and time into this. And it is important to me. Sure. But is it who I am? Right? Like, that's the tricky spot.
0: Gets really existential real fast. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yes.
0: Yep. Well, do you, and so do you think that the industry itself is shifting to where there is a better work-life balance? I mean, you're on the front lines of, you know, all of this wage gap work too, of just making sure that people are getting their value and all of that too. But do you think it's shifting?
1: Yes, for sure. I think that it has to, if it's going to sustain, you know, I think, the wage gap thing is just part of it, right? It's like, you know, I was one of those cooks who was making $6 an hour working 14 hour days, yeah. you know, so that I could get to overtime because I couldn't afford to live unless I had that overtime pay, you know, like it was crazy. So we were kind of forced into working these crazy hours to Ugh. sustain yourself, you know, so leveling that and getting people to a livable wage where they, they can feel proud of the work they're doing. They can feel security in the work That's they're right. doing is super important. Yeah. And I think that with pre-COVID, millions and millions of restaurants, I think in order for this industry to sustain, it needs to be a healthier industry. Mm-hmm. You know, or you'll have the restaurants that come out, make a big splash and do all this yeah. stuff, but they'll eventually fizzle out. Yep. You know, there has to be some sort of underlying healthy environment. And yeah. I think that's kind of what we're trying to get at that's right. now, you know, like, like, how do we balance that?
0: That's right. And that all has to have a positive impact on your workers' mental health, which is how you keep totally. sustain. Yeah. We are. Um, well, the great
1: thing about that, I just want to touch on real quick is that through this tip the kitchen thing and getting some more income for specifically the back of the house staff, we are already seeing massive benefits from morale, productivity. Yes, Like just the inspiration from the team, like the product itself is getting better just because people enjoy what they're doing better. They feel validated in it. So there's definitely value in it for sure.
0: That's amazing. We're friends and neighbors with Chef Alyssa and she talks about it used to be because everything is so fast paced in that environment too. Just like nobody was checking in on each other. And she feels Mm -hmm. that part shifting too, where there's a little bit more of just like a, how are you? No, how are you?
1: Yeah totally.
0: Yeah. Good. I think she's
1: absolutely right on that for sure.
0: That's amazing. And I do think the pandemic Mm -hmm. has exacerbated or made that happen, I guess. And that's the point. How do we keep that going? Because we're all humans before we're anything else. (laughs) Yeah,
1: totally. I agree.
0: You know how so much of like mood and mental health can be tied to our senses. And so I think about like the strong connection between like the sense of smell and memories and things like that. So with cooking and being around food and smells and are there any food or any dishes? for you that are really strongly tied to memories, positive or negative, I guess.
1: Yeah. Let's see which dishes. So the one dish, so my mother was a terrible cook. Was just awful. Like everything was shake and bake
0: oh, yeah. or like,
1: she was a product of the fifties, right? So it's all like, you know, that
0: hamburger like, helper.
1: Yeah. Easy. Yeah. All that stuff. But the one dish that she used to make, which is kind of like this hodgepodge of like, you know, canned things and prepared foods like all smashed together was the stuff that she called chicken shit casserole. Okay. And the only fresh ingredient in the whole thing was a whole chicken.
0: Oh my God. Okay.
1: That she would poach in water and make a stock. Okay, right? It's the only fresh thing she ever did. And then she would use the stock to like wet these croutons and make this like okay. mushy crouton mix. Okay. And then she would <laughs> pick, pick the meat From the chicken and like layer it in a casserole with like some cream of mushroom soup, you know, to make this like chicken casserole. And it was the one thing that was like super delicious. I loved eating it. Like I was kind of a picky eater as I had like a texture thing. And it was like one of those things that was like a stick to your rib, like heartwarming kind of meal. And I've actually, that's so that the smell of that, like casserole cooking. And because definitely she put effort like,
0: into it. Like she actually did right. something in that meal. Yeah,
1: totally. She put effort into it. And so I've adopted that dish. Oh my God. And I have like tweaked it and made it like super awesome. Right. It's never going to be as good as hers in her world, but I have adopted it because it's one of those things that I'm connected to. I See? don't, I can't let yeah. it go. I love
0: know? that. I kind of want to yeah. name this episode, chicken shit casserole.
1: You totally should. It all comes back to it, right?
0: But that's it. I mean, I love that. Are there (laughs) any moments in time or experiences where you wish you just could have frozen time, could go back to it?
1: I'm sure there are. I think, yeah, when my son was born. Yeah, I have a 17-year-old son, and I'm super proud of him. He's turned out to be... He actually works at the restaurant now. He works at the salad station. And so I'm just uber proud of him. He's turned out to be A really amazing kid. And I'm stoked to see where he kind of like goes. When he was born, that was definitely a turning point Mm -hmm. (laughs) for me. I was not prepared to be a parent. It was unexpected. His mother and I are not together. It was like, for me, it was like a really big moment where I had to make some decisions about, okay, what am I going to do? You know, am I going to you know, be a shitbag, bag or am I going right. to like embrace this kid and be a parent be a dad yeah. and all that this which of course not- I did so like that moment would yeah. have been amazing to yeah. freeze you know
0: I know because it's all of a sudden like oh my god this isn't about me
1: yeah not even a little bit and that probably helped a lot with my evolution as a person was caring for him and learning because I mean it's that was a different type of nurture that I wasn't I didn't have practice in yeah <laughs> you know like I had to hold him and feed him and like love him in a way that I was not doing yes. um, previously. So that may have helped like really, I guess I'm a little grateful to him too totally. for helping kind of get me where I'm at.
0: And that's cool to have modeled for him to that evolution and into recovery and sobriety and like doing the work, like you said, going to therapy, mm-hmm. going to g- groups or whatever it is you did to model like this is okay. Yep, uh-huh. Totally. Mm-hmm. And we
1: talk about it all the time. Oh, It's like, yeah, he's totally like, he knows all the drills. I mean, he was close with my brother, his uncle. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was like, he was, I believe Max was, Max is my son. He was, I think 11, maybe when Corey passed away. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, that was huge. You know, that was like something that we had to talk about. I mean,
0: yeah. You keep Corey's memory alive, too, by continuing to talk about oh, him. Yeah. Or, yeah. Has Corey inspired any dishes or anything behind what uh, you're doing currently? Let's see,
1: I don't know. That's a good question. I don't think he's ever inspired dishes. So he worked in restaurants, too. Yeah. So he was a front of the house guy. So he was a server, you know. So we would dine together. Like, we would go out and check restaurants out, kind of pick them apart and be like, you know, we were just kind of like, we were Hell totally... Yeah about it. You totally. know? I would be like, so I'm, nervous like, oh, if I this, saw you come this in. This service blows. Yeah. I know dishes were really inspired by yeah. him, but but he's definitely a part of the whole process for, for sure.
0: Me, yes. You know? Beautiful. Are you still a picky no. eater?
1: No, okay, I'm good. not actually. The only thing I'm picky about is that I won't eat tomatoes in the winter. Like I only eat tomatoes in the summertime when they're fresh. Okay. That's it.
0: Okay. Because
1: I don't, the watery, like yeah. mealy yeah. tomato does nothing for me. That's I right. just want the juicy, like delicious, fruity yeah. one.
0: I'm going to Jersey next week <laughs> That's They get some Other great that, tomatoes in the summer. It. Well, yeah. I work with a lot of picky eaters where the texture things, I'm like, I can now be like, look, you too can overcome this.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. I found I found ways to turn almost everything into a crispy version of itself
0: got it. Like
1: I can find a way to make tomatoes crispy, dehydrate them and then we'll drop them in the fryer like so that's something that I always try to find a way to take an ingredient yeah. and then serve it like with itself, yeah. right? So you do a little tomato salad with crispy tomato whatever's.
0: Uh-huh. That's
1: a great way to address the texture thing.
0: So that's the big <laughs> secret, make it crispy.
1: Find a way to make it crispy.
0: <laughs> I love it. Okay, just a couple more questions. So nerves, were you nervous on Top Chef? And like do you get nervous? Oh,
1: yeah. Go ahead. Do I get nervous? Well,
0: yeah, just generally still. And how do you manage that? Like, what are the coping skills?
1: Right. I do get nervous. I was extremely nervous on Top Chef. And the reason for that, I think, was I didn't want to do Top Chef. Initially, my business partners were like, dude, they reached out to me. Like Five Chef reached out to me Uh because they were filming in Charleston. And they said, hey, you know, would you consider we had just opened Five Church there? One of their casting people had seen it. It was like, wow, this restaurant's really cool. Let's check the chef out or whatever. So they asked me, they sent me a message on like Facebook Messenger or something. I was like, this doesn't seem legit. I thought it was my business partners playing a trick on me. Yeah, I thought they were tricking me. So I finally reached out to my business partners, like, hey, I got this weird, you know, message. I don't know. And they were like, dude, you gotta do it. This is huge, right? And I was like, and eh, I'm not a competition guy. I just want to like do my restaurants and that's mm-hmm. it. And they're like, if you say no to Top right. chef, you're out. That's it. Like you're done. <laughs> like they're never gonna ask you to do anything again. You know, this is your shot. So they kind of convinced me okay. <laughs> to go to do it. So I'm not a competition chef. Like I don't cook with a stopwatch or a clock. You know, I don't, I like to think about my dishes and like put them together. I don't just like create stuff on the fly. So I was very nervous about failing, like looking like a total idiot and just, you know, like making an ass out of myself on TV was a huge thing for me. Like I was like, oh yeah, I've worked so hard to get where we're at. I don't want to like make a joke of it. That was the first Experience on Top Chef, I was uh-huh. super, just terrified. Sure. So I didn't know what I was getting into either. It's you know, I cooked new. in new. Environment.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Totally. And so there was that. But the second time I did it on the All Stars, that was just a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. I was aware of like how I was going. I was like, okay, I'm not gonna go into this thinking I'm gonna win it all. You know, I'm just going to go in there, have fun, try to represent, do some cool food if I can. And I think that's the key. And I try to not take myself too seriously. These days, like I've kind of learned hell along the way is like, it's just like, you know, get over yourself. You know, well, it's, this, like, is it's the suspending your ego again. Yeah. 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 It's like, I have to practice like just not taking myself too seriously
0: and getting back to why you're doing it, why you do it. And I'm sure there was just a lot of like deep breathing, having to calm yourself down in the moment. Very cool.
1: Oh, big time. Yeah. Yeah. I was so my behind the scenes stuff. I don't know if there's any footage of this stuff, but I like, I get all I'm super high energy. Like I'm like, amped up all the time and it's not like nervous energy it's just like i have a lot of of energy and so like when we're leading up into like going into a challenge or like going into the top chef kitchen like i'd be like fully heightened it would make the other chefs nervous yes you like kind of shaky and i'd like jump up and down they're like what is this
0: guy on what is this yeah
1: right i'd be like doing jumping jacks without doing my hands just like pogo jumping and there's what is up with this guy and it was just that's how i would have to like
0: release and like
1: absorb that energy so i wasn't just like freaked out so i had my little like you know things that i would do
0: (laughs) so cool yeah. It has to come yeah. out somehow. That's it. It's like, yeah, exactly. It's bubbling yeah. up. Yeah. Okay. But rapid. But, that, but oh. that
1: would help me. So, so, oh, sorry. So then when I would like go out there, like, you know, into the kitchen or whatever, I'd already, I didn't have all that pent up yeah. stuff. You know, I was a lot more relaxed when I was out there. So it definitely helped.
0: So cool. All right. So crazy question time. Any okay. good stories behind some of your tattoos that you could share with us that maybe are connected sure. to some of the things we talked about today?
1: Totally. So on my back, I have I uh, I don't know how big my back is. I don't know, like three feet or something. Uh-huh. Okay, like a three foot Buddha tattooed with a naga, which is like the five headed serpent, kind of sheltering him from the rain. And I got that tattoo was inspired by kind of like my road to recovery. Mm -hmm. You know, like I did a lot of like research on Hindu Buddhism and just like those philosophies. I'm not a Buddhist. I'm not a Hindu, but the stories and the philosophy behind those kind of practices, I think, are very rooted in humanity. Yes. You know, there aren't a whole lot of supernatural thin things happen on a human level. And so that helped me like those stories and stuff helped me stay focused on mm-hmm. me and recovery, and you know, acknowledging that I'm just a person and I'm flawed and that's okay. Like you can do it kind of thing. And so I, so I got this giant Buddha tattoo.
0: Yes. I love that. On my back. And it's just yeah. always with you in a constant reminder too of those. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Except I can't see it. Well, like, that's it's, true. It's back there. Yeah. That's very true. I should have got it on like my chest.
0: Right. I don't know if there's any more room. Is there any more room? Like what?
1: Yeah. Very little. There's some. I also have this, my green Tara. So green Tara is a Hindu goddess of compassion. So that I got that early on when I was in New York, when I was still like struggling with addiction and trying to figure out my way to like get through all this. So she is my reminder of like, Hey, be compassionate to yourself, be compassionate to others.
0: Yeah, you know. Yeah. So. And I'm sure there are daily things that you have to do too to like keep yourself focused. And you know, I know there's that like Ben's friends group and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And like I don't are you a part of that? Yeah. Or is that a, am I allowed to ask that? I don't know. I'm not, right. yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not
1: actually, you know. I'm aware of it. I know Sam really well. Yeah. We're good friends. Me and Sam actually cook together. He, oh. he kind of leads the chapter here in Charlotte. Yep. We we've cooked together for years, years ago. I don't know. Do you know him?
0: That's, I interviewed him a couple of weeks ago. Yeah.
1: Yeah. He's awesome. So yeah. we're good buds. You know, that type of environment doesn't work for me. Got it. I have definitely, you know, when I was in, I guess I'm always in recovery, but you know, when I was getting clean and stuff, I would go to meetings. I would do stuff like that when I was in kind of substance abuse therapy. But for me, I think I don't need that. Yeah. Yeah. On a daily basis or whatever to stay focused, you know? Yeah.
0: No, I think that's yeah. it. It's such an individual thing. Okay. Restaurant you've never been to that you were dreaming of going to?
1: Oh, man. I want to go to Per Se <laughs> in New York. Yeah. For sure. My business partner's been and he talks about it all the time. And I haven't been and it makes me crazy. Yep. That's Thomas Keller's place, yep. which is just unbelievable. I haven't been in the French Laundry either. Yeah. So one of Thomas Keller's places I would love to go to. Yes. I'm going to go.
0: You're going to go. And I also want to check out that 11 Madison that's all like plant-based now. Yeah.
1: Uh That's a
0: really cool concept that that's so successful too, still.
1: Yeah. Daniel Hume is an amazing chef. I mean, he's so creative, technically like sound, like his technique Uh is so precise that if anybody can pull it off, they are for sure. Yeah. Maybe I'll hit up those two. I'll make a trip to New York and we'll
0: oh, just put me in your suitcase. Are you connected with <laughs> Jose Andres at all too? He's another one that I just like admire. Yeah.
1: I, lo- I love him. I think he's amazing. <sighs> yeah. He's a total inspiration. I think for anybody who's in the hospitality business, yeah. but um, I don't know him and I particularly connected to him, but I love, Let's I love make what that happen
0: does. too. Okay. Person dead or alive that you would love to go to per se with.
1: <laughs> Ooh, good one. Well, of course, I have to take my girlfriend Corey because she's my girlfriend's name. Her is Corey, name's by
0: Corey the way. too. Okay.
1: Yeah, that's crazy. Interesting. Uh-huh. Um, I, that is just happens to be a coincidence. I think yes. <laughs> that's not like a thing. Yeah. That's not why I picked her. <laughs> He's definitely like she's like my soulmate. Oh, you know. <laughs> yeah. So she would have to definitely come with me because I would just catch endless amounts of shit. If, yes. If she didn't, yes, but would. we would go with. <laughs> I love it. Let's see, who who would we go with. Ooh, man, it would be like a master chef, like maybe okay. like Paul Bocuse or something. Okay. Like I think Paul Bocuse would be fun to dine with. You know, so Paul Bocuse is, you know, he's like the grandfather of modern cuisine, right? He was a very heavy drinker. So I'm sure he's got like amazing stories. Oh yeah. And I would love to be able to talk about the food at Per Se.
0: Yes, right? with like him. Oh.
1: Modern French, like super modern French Right. Cuisine with the grandfather of modern food. That would be awesome.
0: Perfect answer. Paul Bocuse is my pick. Love it. With Corey. (laughs) All right. Okay. Yeah. With Corey. Anything else you'd add just about this conversation around mental health and, you know.
1: Other than I think that everybody should embrace their own mental health. You know, I think it's super important to suspend your ego, realize that you're human. And honestly, I think that for me, the meaning of all of this is happiness. And like, that's the way to get there, right? Mm -hmm. Is mental health is the way to find happiness. You have to be okay with things. You have to be able to-
0: Tend to your mental health. Sustain.
1: yeah. Yeah, tend to your mental health so you can find happiness. Thank you. Thank you. This was fun.
0: It was fun. I always feel like I need to take a nap after these conversations. Cause I just get like so jazzed, you know, like this is my jam yeah. and now I'm just like, oh. <laughs> okay. That's I really awesome. appreciate it. Yeah. I will.
1: When do you think you're going to air this?
0: Yeah. I got to get my shit together, get it to the guy to edit and all that stuff. And so I'll let okay. you know, hopefully like within the month or something, cause I want to do it well and do okay. it right. And I know people are going to want to hear your story. And so just, yeah. So I will let you know, I'll message you. All right. But thanks for, good. for everything and I'll be in touch. Sounds Wednesday. good. Great rest of your week.
1: Enjoy your hump day.
0: Thank you bye yeah thanks bye so who you calling crazy i think you mean human we are removing the stigma y'all say it loud and proud yep i go to therapy you